0: So in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, he said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect Will of God. Good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So I find it interesting here that, you know, he's being very straightforward. Don't be conformed to the world, but rather be transformed. And the key to transformation, of course, is the renewing of our mind. Changing the way we think and make sure that our thought processes are all in alignment with the Word of God. For we discovered last week that believing right comes before doing right. In the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 28 and 29, Jesus makes it very clear. He says, our job is to believe in him whom he sent. Believe on him whom he sent. So the first thing we're to do is believe right. Our doing that pleases God comes out of believing right. If we are doing in order to please God, to be accepted by God, we're missing the mark. I used the illustration quickly last week about, you know, when I, when I mess up and I fall out of the good graces of Nancy for, you know, I may have messed up, instead of uh, just trying to get things right and have good, healthy communication and good, healthy dialogue and, and hearing and believing right about the situation, I, my, my natural tendency, my, my love language is serving. So I want to do something. I'm going to do something to fall back, you know, to, to work my way back into the good graces. And one of Nancy's friends listened to the message twice and sent Nancy a text and said, you know, because I use the illustration that, I, you know, I'll start by cleaning the kitchen floor. And, you know, the kitchen floor is really clean at our house. <laughs> if you wonder why my house is so clean, now you know. <laughs> All right, Pastor Ray messed up again. But I'm doing better because I used to do the bathrooms, the kitchen floor, the living room. <laughs> But her good friend text sent her a text and said, my goodness, you should wait beyond the kitchen floor. Let him do the whole house before you tell him what you really want him to do. So, <laughs> so thank God that he's not like that. He's not waiting until we try to figure the whole thing out ourselves. His grace is more than sufficient, and he'll come and redeem us and restore us. So changing what we believe is key to experiencing lasting transformation in our lives. So we constantly have to be asking ourselves, taking inventory and asking, is what I believe to be true about my present circumstances? Is it, is it in alignment with the Word of God? You know, does what I believe align with, God's, with what God's Word declares to be true about me? Or do I need an alignment? You know, do I need to make a transition here in order to... Uh, to, to come into alignment with the Word of God. And so it, it's important to do that because we can be reading Scripture, and we, sometimes we just read it lightly or we, we, we read it you know, out of tradition or whatever, but we come across Scriptures that tell us that we've been redeemed, we've been made, uh, created. Matter of fact, if you start in the book of Genesis, you'll find out right up front that we've been created in His likeness, in the image and the likeness of God. Well, do we really believe that we are in the image or the likeness of God, or do we fall for the story that, well, Adam blew that whole thing? Well, yes, uh, it was blown, but the good news is Jesus came back to redeem us back to our original state of being, and that is in the likeness and the image of God. We are holy in His sight. We are made right in His sight, in His image, and that's the the type of language we need to uh, be reading uh, from the epistles. We see it very clearly, and we need to uh, Transform our thinking to believing these truths about ourselves, and that's where lasting transformation comes from. So, so the good news is, is we have uh, we uh, you know you might be asking constantly asking ourselves, can we really change? Can we really change or are we forever locked into whatever patterns nature and our nurture left us with in our childhood? You know, is it possible to see a new reality created in our lives? And if it is possible, how is it possible? Well, number one, it is possible. We are not, we are not locked in. We are not locked in to whatever patterns nature or nurture instilled within us. We are born again, children of God, born of the Spirit of God, and it is possible to experience transformation in our lives. The Bible is filled with illustrations, with with stories of people whose lives have been dramatically transformed, and that's not in there just for good literature reading. That's in there to inspire us and see what, what happened in their lives and how can we apply what took place in their lives, how did that transformation occur in their lives, and how can we apply it in our lives? So grace, grace is a gift of God And grace is uh, God's, it's his very nature. It's his very character. And grace is always flowing from his person, just as light and heat are always flowing from the sun. I mean, when the sun comes up, you know, light appears. The darkness flees. When the sun is up, when the sun is shining, you can always feel the warmth of the sun, even the coldest of winter days. When the sun's shining and you position yourself in the sun and out of the northern wind, you can feel the heat of the sun. And so that's how God's grace is always flowing from him. And our responsibility is to tap into that grace, to grow in the grace, to become strong in the grace of God, and to continue to see our lives being transformed. Today I have several people that are uh, characters from the Word of God uh, I want to share with you. We're going to start with the Apostle Paul. We had Paul, Peter, Peter, Paul, and Mary. With us here this morning, so we're going to take a look at First uh, Timothy chapter one. First Timothy, I going to tell you one. Let's see if I can find it here. First Timothy one chapter. First uh, Timothy one verse twelve through seventeen. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer. Notice the word formerly. Everyone say formerly. So I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, or the marginal says a violent, arrogant man. You know anybody like that? A violent, angry man. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundantly with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am chief. He's acknowledging that I'm chief among sinners. I was a very angry man. I was a, a, a blasphemer, a persecutor, violently angry, but I obtained mercy. And it's a faith. God is faithful. Uh, he came into the world to save sinners of who I am chief. And it's good for us to recognize uh, uh, Paul's acknowledging this, because sometimes you think, well, I'm just the worst of the worst, you know. I'm, I'm, just, uh, I'm just a mess, and God really can't use me. He, he won't use me. He can't use me, because I just, you know, I've blown it so many times. I have a real challenge with anger, and therefore God can't use me. Well, Paul just said that he was the worst among the worst. If you think you have an anger problem... Paul had an anger problem far more severe than yours. If you think you've been a blasphemer, Paul's been a blasphemer exceeding your blasphemous things that you may have been saying. I'm not sure that's a word, blasphemous, but anyway. <laughs> However, verse 16, he says, "For this reason, I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern." Everyone say, "As a pattern." Now, when you see something as a pattern, that means you observe. This is something that's reoccurring. It's a pattern that's reoccurring. It's a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever. Amen. So, examples of lives being transformed. Paul, the Apostle Paul stating here, he said, although I was formerly, then he states what he formerly was and lists all the negative things about him, but he says, but I obtain mercy, then in verse 14, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant. That ties right in with his letter to the church at Rome. In, in chapter 5, believe it's in verse 20, he says, where sin abounded, grace does much more abound. So, yes, there may be some very challenging circumstances. There may be some temperamental issues. There may be some personality things that you feel like nature and nurture has deposited in you, and you feel like you can't shake it. The good news is you can shake it off. You can be transformed. You can come into the, into the person that God has designed for you to become, and it's not on your own strength, not on your own ability, but it's by the grace of God. By the grace of God. Again, uh, one of the letters, Paul's letters to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, known as the resurrection chapter, in there he talks about uh, how he is the least worthy among the apostles. I'm the least worthy among the apostles, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Now, I've heard people use that out of context out of context, because they're saying, well, you know, I know I have this issue, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. That's not what it means. It's not, by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's not an excuse for you to remain like you are. But I've heard it numerous times over the years where people are... Defending themselves and say, well, I tried to change, but I can't change. It's just by the grace of God, I am what I am. Well, no, by the grace of God, you're being transformed. That's what Paul was talking about. I wasn't worthy to be an apostle, but by the grace of God, I've been transformed. Now I am an apostle. Matter of fact, you'll be hearing about the apostle Paul quite a bit when we're talking about grace. Paul is the apostle. When you read in the book of Ephesians, uh, uh, Jesus revealed personally came to Paul in a revelation about the grace of God, about the mystery of the grace, about this dispensation, this time frame that we're living in since the day of Pentecost until Jesus comes back, biblically talking about different different dispensations of time. This is known as the dispensation of the church age or the dispensation of the grace of God. The Apostle Paul received the revelation of of God's grace, and he's the one that wrote the epistles and the letters to the churches teaching the grace of God. That's why you hear Paul uh, and and grace, you know, referred to quite frequently. And Paul personally experienced the grace of God. He says, I am what I am. And then he also backs it up and says, His grace and His grace toward me was not in vain. That's our goal that by the grace of God, we experience his transformation, and that his grace towards us for transformation is not in vain. We're going to capitalize on it. We're going to see tremendous transformation take place in our lives. So think about your life. You don't have to think too deeply. Don't want you to get too discouraged. But think about areas. You know, what, what habit patterns or what Quirks do I have that that I just assumed it's my nature, it's my personality, it's because of you know it's my DNA. I received it from my parents, and you know it's not my fault. Which one of those negative traits have we just settled on saying, well, I'm not responsible for it. It's who I am and haven't really applied or perhaps you have tried in the past, but you've given up. You've become discouraged because, you you know, the reality is you may have tried to do it on your own strength. or some self-help books that are uh, uh, readily available to us today. And they're not not all things in self-help books or self-help books are wrong. Or not good for you, but in and of themselves, it won't be lasting change. Any lasting, permanent change has to be grace based. If you do it by your own work, by your own self help, the moment that you'll be fine for a few days, a few weeks, or possibly even a few years, but sometime you're gonna become weary. You're gonna become tired. And, and you're, you're going to revert right back to habit again. But when it's a grace transformation, you don't, get, you don't become weary. Jesus said, Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. My burden is easy. My my yoke is light. And so when we're doing it, by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We, we can experience the victory. So when you're reading through the Word of God and you hear the Apostle Paul talk about all the, the, the crazy things that he used to do, he used to, you know, persecute the church, he, he took men and women into captivity and put them in prison, he held the, 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 he held the clothing when Stephen was being stoned, you know, so he was, he was a very violent person. Matter of fact, today we would consider him to be a terrorist. The way he persecuted the church of God, he was, he was a terrorist, but he had an encounter with Jesus. We heard about encounter a few weeks ago. He had an encounter with Jesus that he wasn't necessarily expecting, but he had an encounter with Jesus, and his life was transformed. That transformation took place when he became a born, when he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior, and it was a continual work in him. He continued to be transformed. He continued to grow in the grace of God. Jesus gave him a revelation of the grace of God. And he continued to, to experience it in his life and continued to uh, to preach it as well so paul 's pretty popular. most people have heard of the Apostle Paul, whether you 're a new Christian or you 've been a Christian for years or perhaps you 're not even a Christian, but you've heard of the Apostle Paul but, uh, and, and perhaps you know about his history, you might know some of his story, but there 's another transformation in, the, in, the, in god 's word that I enjoy, and it 's not heard of so much, but you remember the story of Mary and Martha and they had Jesus over to the house for dinner. And Martha's busy serving, and Mary is found sitting at the feet of Jesus. This is found in the Gospel, Luke chapter 10. And Mary's just sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening, hearing him teach. And, and, and Martha's busy, 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 working, working, working. Now, There's nothing wrong with serving, but even in our service, we need to be doing it in the grace of God, not in our own flesh. Well, Martha got frustrated and discouraged, and she lashed out at Jesus, and she accused Jesus of not caring. And, you know, my my sister just sitting at your feet, and she's not helping. You know, can't you tell her to help? And Jesus pretty much rebuked her and then instructed her. He said, "Uh, Martha, you are worried and troubled about a lot of things, but your sister, Mary, she's chosen the good thing. She's chosen, she, she made the right choice, and then when you look at the choice of uh, what Mary did, it's Mary made the choice to sit at the feet of Jesus and to learn of his ways. To receive, she was receiving grace upon grace. And Jesus basically told Martha, you need to re- learn to receive grace like Mary is receiving grace. Well, Mary and Martha appear again in the Gospels, in the Gospel of John chapter 10. Excuse me, uh, chapter 11, that's the story most familiar to us with uh, Lazarus being raised from the dead. He was the brother of Mary and Martha, and Lazarus took ill, and they called for Jesus, and Jesus didn't show up, and Lazarus died, and now he's dead four days, and Jesus finally shows up. And so Mary and Martha have an encounter with Jesus, and both of them are frustrated with Jesus because you know if he would have been here, he would not have died. And Jesus said, listen, just roll away the stone. I'll take care of this. And Martha said... <laughs> No, no, it's four days, he stinks. He, you know, it's too late now, basically, but Jesus was very patient with Martha and ministered to Martha and got Martha to come into agreement and said, yes, I believe that you are the resurrection and we'll all be resurrected and so forth. And long story short, Lazarus was raised from the dead. Mary and Martha both had struggled with that confrontation. They struggled with the fact that, that he died, but struggled with that Jesus, what they thought he was late to the party, but Jesus shows up and Lazarus is raised from the dead, and, and, and I think in that particular story, both of them grow in their relationship with Jesus. They've learned a greater depth of trust and confidence in him. Well, the very next chapter, Mary and Martha are, again, serving a meal. And this particular meal, they invited Lazarus, and many people came because they are astounded. Jesus is there, Lazarus is there, and I think this time Jesus is not the main draw. I think Lazarus was the main draw. People wanted to come and find out what's life really like on the other side of death. And so there's this uh, meal taking place, and we again find Martha serving. And if you're familiar with the story, Martha's serving, and it's another—it's a large meal, it's a big meal, and, and and it's a large event. Martha's serving. Mary is not sitting at the feet listening to Jesus. She's again at the feet of Jesus. This time she's worshiping Jesus. Because when she took that very costly ointment, spikenard, and broke it and poured it over the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with their hair. And of course, uh, some of the disciples got upset. And why was this wasted? This could have been sold for a year's wages, and we could have taken the money and given it to the poor. And Jesus said, just don't worry about it. You're always going to have poor people with you. You have plenty of time to minister to poor people. But right now, she is worshiping me. She's making the right choice. But there's another person in this story we see growing in the grace of God. We see Mary growing in the grace of God from studying at the feet of Jesus to becoming a worshipper of Jesus, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. But Mary, uh, Martha, is serving. But notice she's not complaining. She's serving, but she's not complaining. She's still functioning in her gift. She's still functioning what she enjoys doing. But now she's doing it in the grace of God. She's no longer complaining that Mary is not helping. She's cool with doing what she's doing. She enjoys putting this meal together. She enjoys serving this multitude of people that are gathered together, and they're all hearing about Lazarus. You know, They're, they're hearing about the story of Lazarus from Lazarus' viewpoint. And I'd like to ask Lazarus sometime, what was it like to, on the fourth day you're dead, and then you hear Jesus telling you to come forth? And now Lazarus has to make a choice. Say, I really want to come out of here, or don't I want to come out of here? <laughs> I want to ask him what it was like to make that decision. Do I really want to come out here and get unwrapped from all these grave clothes? Or am I just going to enjoy my heavenly existence? And so, but anyway, it's a little side note there. But Martha is continuing to do what she was graced to do, what she was gifted to do. But the transformation that's taken place in her life is she's now doing it with joy, with grace, with honor, no longer complaining. So, we have to ask ourselves, am I, doing what I'm, am I doing what I'm supposed to do? And many times we'll say, yes, I believe I'm doing what I'm gifted to do. I'm, I'm, I'm functioning in my skill set. Then the second question would be, but am I doing it cheerfully as unto the Lord? And you might want to hit the pause button. You, might, you may want to hit the pause button and say, I, I could really use some transformation in this area. I really could. I really could. There's been more than one Sunday, this was a long time ago, of course, that I got up as the pastor of Grace Church and ministered the Word of God, and I was angry, frustrated, irritated about whatever things. And every time I did it, the Holy Spirit would get all over me it's Grace Church. You like to tell people you're a minister of grace. You, you thoroughly enjoy the subject of grace and faith in Jesus Christ. And, but you're, you delivered that message today out of frustration. And then he slapped me around for a little bit, and like he did Martha, and say, okay, I'll get up next Sunday, and I'll preach in the grace of God. Doing it because I like to do it. Doing it because God called me to do it. Doing it without any grumbling. Doing it without any complaining. I want to be found doing what I'm supposed to be doing in the grace of Almighty God. And you may be shocked to hear me say that, but don't be too shocked, because you may be the reason I was upset. (laughs) So just, let's just agree to just let it go. <laughs> all is well. <laughs> We've all grown. We're all walking in grace. We're all encouraging one another, building one another up, and et cetera, et cetera. So then we have Peter. Everyone say Peter. Peter. <laughs> oh, you love this? Peter. Peter's one that would open mouth and insert foot. But when you read through the Scriptures, when you read the Gospels, Peter pops up at various places, and he he shows up. In Luke chapter 22, he's seen among the other uh, disciples arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom. In Matthew 16, you'll find Peter thinking that he's being very loyal, but he rebukes Jesus only to receive a rebuke from Jesus because Jesus was saying, You know, I'm going to be persecuted, and Peter just couldn't wrap his mind around that, so he rebukes Jesus, thinking that he's doing the right thing. But uh, basically Jesus said, You know, I rebuke you, Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Uh, in John chapter 18, he again comes to Jesus' defense as he's being going on trial, and he pulls out his sword and he cuts off the ear. And uh, Jesus told him to put the sword away and, and heals the man that lost his ear. In Matthew chapter 26, Peter has an adamant protest when Jesus looked at him and said, You know what, Peter? Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter is just protesting that that will never happen. I will follow you all the days of my life. I will never deny you. I will never deny you. I'll never deny you. Before you get to the end of the chapter, we have the record of Peter denying Jesus three times, and he ends up weeping bitterly because he realizes he just did what he said he would never do. Have you ever done what you swore you would never do? I would never do that. I would never do that. We always want to guard our heart recognize that we never have attitude towards someone that that, that, uh, has an issue and thinking, my goodness, I could never do that. I would never do that. Well, you better be depending on the grace of God and be praying for mercy and and be loving on the people that you may be being judgmental toward and and just guard your heart about that, well, I would never do that. Stay close to Jesus. Stay close to Jesus. So at this point, it appears that Peter, you know, he couldn't do anything right. You just really couldn't do anything right. Everything he did just kind of seemed like it was wrong. He made the wrong choice, said the wrong things. But on the day of Pentecost, Jesus has been crucified, and he's resurrected, and he's gone on to heaven. He said, I'm going to send the Holy Ghost. On the day that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to empower the church for service... He used Peter as the primary spokesman among all the disciples, and he, used Jesus, uh, he chose Peter to be the primary spokesperson. Jesus presented the gospel, and we have record of 3,000 people committing their lives to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's Peter. You read through the book of Acts, get into Acts chapter 10. God's ready to take the, the, the message of grace It's time for the gospel of grace to go beyond the Jewish people. It's now to go to the Gentile nations, which is something the Jewish people didn't want any parts of. God mandated for Peter through a series of visions and and prophecies. Peter is the one that he chose to communicate the gospel of grace to the Gentile nation. At first, Peter was very adamant. He said, not so, Lord, not so, Lord. I have never eaten anything unclean, meaning I have never hung out with, a, with, with Gentiles. And I've never done that. But eventually, Peter agrees to do it. God chose him to be the primary spokesperson. Now, it seems that Peter's failures are behind him. They're behind him. He's now on target. But you read and get into the book of Galatians in chapter 2. Peter is being rightfully rebuked by the apostle Paul because Peter is playing the role of a hypocrite. When he's among the Jewish brethren, he's, he's adhering to, uh, to their diets. And when he's among the Gentile brethren, he's enjoying the, he, he's enjoying the pork and sauerkraut and, and hamburgers on the grill. And then when the Jewish people come back, he abstains from that, and he comes back to all the Jewish traditions, and Paul saw that he was playing the role of a hypocrite, and as a leader in the church, he saw how dangerous that was for an apostle, the leader of the church, to be playing the role of a hypocrite, and he rebuked him for it. He rebuked him for doing that. But the story is not complete. God, again, saw fit to choose Peter, to grace Peter and to anoint Peter to write two New Testament letters that we have in the, in the canon of Scripture today. And it's 1 Peter. And anyone know the name of the second one? 2 Peter. Very <laughs> good, church. You all are really coming along quite nicely. I'm very really happy after 30-some years. <laughs> Praise God. So Peter, in both his letters, when you read his letters, he opens both of them with grace and peace be multiplied to you. Think about that. Grace and peace be multiplied. And we say multiplied. So grace can be multiplied to you. And his last words of instruction, as a matter of fact, in the middle there somewhere, I think it's in chapter 5 of 1 Peter's where he, uses the, where he talks about that we are to be good stewards of the manifold grace of God, multifaceted grace. You know, so There's grace in salvation. There's grace in dying and making the transition to heaven. There really is a grace for that. There's grace in our stewardship. There's grace for your, your ministry gift that you've been called to. So there's a multifaceted grace in our lives. He's instructing, he's instructing us to be good stewards of the multifaceted grace of God. But he closes his second book, the very last verse, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. He says, grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My heart for my life, for your life as members, worshipers here at Grace Church, is that we would always continue to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I mentioned it last Sunday. I'll mention it again. Grace is not static. You can't just go through life just looking at someone else and say, oh, they're so graceful. They're so gifted. They're so good at that. And then, then, then dismiss yourself thinking, I could never be that grace. I could never be the, that good at what I do. I could never serve all those people without complaining. I could never do that task without murmuring. I could never be that faithful. I've, I've never had it modeled to me. Or I could never be that joyful. I could never be that patient. Well, how patient do you want to be? And what is it that's bothering you about your impatience, other than the fact that you're impatient and you know it's wrong? We're to be patient. We're to be kind. We're to be loving. We're to be gentle. How gentle can I become? How happy can I be? How much joy is there to have? Just a few weeks ago, in meditation, I sensed the Lord. One of the things I'm to be working on and, and to receiving, working on God's grace, developing, growing in the grace of God in my life is in the joy of the Lord and in, in, in expressing it. If you were to ask me at any time, "Are you happy?" I say, "Yeah, I'm happy." And if you say me, and you repeat the question, "Are you happy, Pastor?" I say, "Yes, I'm happy." And you could repeat the question, but Pastor Ray, are you really happy? I said, I am so happy. <laughs> and what God was speaking to me, he said, learn to express what you're feeling. You, you, you really are, you have, I have a lot to be thankful for. I have a lot of things going really, really well in life, and I thank God for it. A lot of grace has been bestowed upon me, and the Holy Spirit was whispering in my ear, saying, start letting that show through. Letting that show through, and stop just basing on, well, my DNA never celebrated anything. Never celebrated much of anything. I should say, I should never is probably an overstatement, but I didn't grow up in a celebratory household. It just wasn't part of what we did. We didn't celebrate things to the extent that many people celebrate things. Driving through Philly yesterday, uh, going through a section of houses where houses are really tight and there's no, really no lawn, and we're stopped at a light, and here's a house right up against a concrete sidewalk, and there's no grass space, and they're having a birthday party. And out front, they have tents set up, and there's balloons right on the sidewalk, right next to the street, and they have, uh, I think they had two different Portable, you know, their little swimming pool things. And I, I just mentioned to Nancy, I said, boy, they sure utilize the space that they have. Made me think about why should I complain about my backyard? I have a much larger backyard than they. I don't think they had any backyard. And what do I do with my yard? I make sure that it's manicured properly in case you stop by. But other than that, there's no party going on. <laughs> I thought I have what they wish they had, and I'm not even using it. But there's other illustrations, just learning to be happy. Just, you ask God, and you, might, you may not even have to ask God, but God's been whispering to you, and he's been bringing that convicting voice of the Holy Spirit into your life. What, do you need to, uh, what area do you need to grow in grace in? My grace growth is to learn to just express more of the joy of the Lord. Really, you know, because I'm happy. <laughs> I really am happy. <laughs> stop asking me. <laughs> or I'll get unhappy because you're irritating me because you're always asking me, are you happy, are you happy? I am so happy. I am ecstatic that we are done and we get to go home and we get to enjoy a nice day, right? Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your grace that is more than abundant, that where sin has abounded and is abounding, your grace does much more abound. Father, my prayers is that we all be freed up from whatever assumptions we've made, that we are stuck with a personality, we are stuck with a habit, we are stuck with, it may be anger, it may be fear, it may be just doubt, unbelief, just whatever it is that we're stuck with. It, it's, not, it's, it, it's not fruit of the Spirit of God that's within us. It's, it's works of the flesh. Whatever those areas in our lives are, Lord God, that we can apply the grace of God to it. We can bring your grace into it. We can come before your very throne to obtain mercy and to discover grace to help us in this in this time of need, in this situation in my life, I, I, I can apply grace to the joy. I can apply grace to patience. I can apply grace to mercy. I can apply your grace to kindness. I can become stronger in these areas. I can apply your grace to my stewardship. I, I don't need to continually be frustrated at my lack of stewardship abilities and just seeming like I can never get on, on top of the money situation. But, Lord, there's grace. There's grace. The Macedonian church received an abundance of grace in, in the midst of their poverty and their great trials of affliction. You you've showered grace upon them. They became an illustration of generosity. Father, we can become generous, kind, happy people and, and, and Lord God a people that have a heart for others that are less fortunate and a heart for others that are not yet have not yet been introduced to the to the message of grace, to the salvation message of the grace of God. Father, we can all grow in it in Jesus' name. Repeat this with me please. Say Heavenly Father, I open my heart, I open my mind, and I desire to grow in grace and in knowledge of my Savior, Jesus Christ. From this day forward, I will draw on the grace, no longer leaning on my own understanding, but in all my ways, I acknowledge grace to help me in every situation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Well, Amen. Thank you so much for being here. If you want someone to pray with you today to receive Jesus as Savior or set ourselves an agreement for anything else in your life, if you'll just make your way up here, someone will meet you here and pray with you. Other than that, have a great day. Grab a cup of coffee on your way out if you want one or some good lemon water. Be refreshed and enjoy your day, and we will see you next Sunday morning. God bless you.